0: Welcome to Extra Virgin, a podcast for gourmands who love to travel and travellers who love good food. I'm Natasha Mirosh. And
1: I'm Sam Donsky. Between us, we've toured and tasted our way around more than 60 countries. Join us now as we meet the passionate people who make travelling the world so rewarding and so very delicious.
0: Hello and welcome. Today we're talking about salt and while it might be a common household ingredient it does have a long and very intriguing history. We'll be chatting about it with our guest Alice Lang, a Tasmanian salt producer who makes salt from some of the purest seawater in the world. So Sam, what kind of salt do you use at home?
1: Well of course growing up in the 1970s all we ever had was plain old table salt and and I guess cooking salt. And I remember when I first came across other salts like molden from England's southeast coast and, and then, of course, pink Himalayan salt was suddenly everywhere. And now I always have quite a few types in my pantry. At the moment there's Himalayan pink in a few different forms, like there's little flakes and little rocks. <laughs> but there's also some gorgeous chunky Italian sea salt that you brought me back from Sicily. I did. I'd forgotten about it and it was up the back of the pantry. But anyway, I've dragged that out now. And there's some sea salt flakes from South Australia too. Well, at least you
0: have some Australians in there. I have to admit that although I have a few different types of salt in my pantry at the
1: moment, I don't think I have a single Australian one, which is a bit sad. Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk to Alice about today. Australian salt, how it's made and the story of how this Scotswoman moved from the other side of the world to make it. Welcome, Alice.
0: Hello, thank you for having me
2: on the show.
1: Hi, Alice, and I have to say before we start you don't
0: have much of a Scottish accent. How is that? No, I don't. I was I
2: spent most of my childhood growing up in Scotland, but I was born down in England. We lived all over. I lived in Nepal for five years. I lived in Canada down mm. in Suffolk in London before we moved up to Scotland when I was about eight or nine. So maybe my accent was already formed. By
1: that, mm. mm. <laughs> okay, it's very, nice. very global too. Yeah. <laughs>
0: mm. Before we get into your story, can you give us a little bit of background about the history of salt and its production? I'm interested to know whether it was as venerated as sugar or some of the other more exotic spices.
2: Well, I think, I mean, almost more so, well, I would say that but it was i mean i don't know if it was necessarily venerated but it was a necessity and that's why salts played such an important role throughout history because before refrigeration salt it was the only way of preserving food so it was the only way of making food last longer and still be safe to eat so that obviously really helped it mean that meant that people didn't have to be so reliant on seasonal produce, but also it meant that you could transport food a lot further. And so that was really important in the rise of empires, in that as much as armies marched further out into enemy territory, you could send food out further to feed them. So it became just a really, really important commodity. And cities and empires that had access to salt and were able to trade salt became very rich off the back of it. So the Venetian Empire is an example of that monopoly on the salt trade was the reason for the rise of the empire and then as they lost the monopoly the fall of the empire so it has as a preservative it's incredibly important and we still preserve food now but it's more for the flavor of it rather than the sort of necessity of being able to keep food for a long time.
1: Mm. Although I do make a chicken stock paste myself a homemade chicken stock paste that of course is you use a lot of salt to preserve it and be able to keep it in the fridge, which is, um, yeah, yeah, using it in that old-fashioned way. Yeah, and you remind me of a book that I read many years ago by Mark Kalansky, his um, non-fiction yeah. work, Salt, A World History. And, and that yeah. was really fascinating because he explains the importance of salt through the ages and how not so long ago it was um, so valuable that it, you know, it really had a, a very important role and served as a currency, didn't it?
2: Well, exactly. Well, I think some people think that actually the origin of the word salary comes from salt, so that soldiers were paid in salt, and that's where the word salary comes from, from sal, Latin for salt. But also all of those big trade routes are called the salt routes across Europe and into China and across Africa, because salt was the most important commodity at one time being traded along those routes. So the salt routes are still always played a really important role in history it's a fascinating book actually i give it to a lot of people
0: i did not know that about the salt roots that's really interesting of course you're very knowledgeable about it now alice but you really learned as you went didn't you tell us a little bit about your history pre-salt making
2: Yeah, well, salt is I suppose relatively new for me. We've been doing it for about seven years, but before that, so like I said, um, I grew up in well in the UK mostly, but we travelled a lot when I was when I was younger. Lived in Nepal for five years and moved to Scotland when I was about nine or ten. And I have a really foodie family in Scotland. My mum had a catering business, and I worked for her, and then as a freelance caterer the whole way through school and university. And I think that's what I always thought I was going to do. I learned to cook for my mum and my mum learned to cook for my grandmother and really been in our family. But then after university, I don't know, all my friends were down in London and, you know, living the high life down there. So I thought I'd head down to London for a bit and ended up getting a job working on the London 2012 Olympics for one of the sponsors of the Olympics uh, really early on. So five years out and then I ended up... Mm. So ended up doing that and that was the end of food for a while, although I always wanted to do something in food. And then living down in London, I met my husband, Chris, who Glastonbury Music Festival in the UK. We got married in 2012 and at that point there was no plan to move back to Tasmania. You know, I just thought I'd carry on working in sponsorship and things, but then we came over here on a holiday and it just it changed everything for us.
1: So he was from Tasmania but you came out for a visit how did that go? His family
2: are from Launceston and he did that typical thing he was going to the UK for six months and eight years later I <laughs> met him there but we just came back literally just on a holiday to meet his family for the first time and he brought me down here to the east coast where we live now and it's just the most beautiful part of the world and it wasn't what I expected I suppose I'd been brought up on a diet of Crocodile Dundee and was imagining (laughs) well that part of Australia that I still haven't actually seen because it's so different down here beautiful pure clean water the most amazing beaches actually reminded me a lot of the west coast of Scotland Mm. just stunning really remote really just felt so clean and pure and far away from everything and then yeah it was while we were down here that the seed of the idea for Tasman sea salt was sown. It was being down here on the east coast of Tasmania and just seeing this incredible natural resource. And then we went back to Chris's house and we were cooking dinner there and his parents were using and sea salt, which I think one of you said you have in your pantry, mm-hmm. all the way from the east coast of England, which is where my mother's family are from and where I spent a lot of my childhood. And it just seemed so crazy that people were shipping salt such a long distance when you're just surrounded by this pristine natural resource here in Tasmania and you know I grew up around there there's molten waters around there they're known as the black waters for a reason mm-hmm. and it just seemed the water here just seemed so much better for making sea salt so we went, like oh gosh somebody should make sea salt in Tasmania and that's all it was at that point i literally had no plans to move to tasmania we weren't even really thinking about it but then It just seemed like a great idea. And so we we kind of took it from there, I suppose.
0: And so you went back to the UK at that stage after that holiday. And I believe you did a little salt experiment (laughs) on your grandmother's stove. Tell us about that.
2: Yeah, we did. We'd been given the idea, but we had just had literally no idea about how to make salt. We just thought that it would be a great place to make salt. So I was in sponsorship. My husband was a lawyer for the Football Association. We had no background in making salt, but we literally just... I mean, we started by Googling how to make sea salt mm-hmm. and it is an incredibly simple process. I suppose it turned out to be that all you really need to do to make sea salt is evaporate. It's just lots of different kind of stages of evaporation. So we headed out to my grandmother's place in Suffolk and we went and got a big pot of seawater from the stewardess estuary mm-hmm. and <laughs> put it on her gas stove and run her gas down totally and I think then we decided to use a barbecue I mean it took all day to (laughs) get this huge pot of seawater down to just some rather powdery salt in the bottom which was well we were pretty pleased with our first attempt but how much did it make oh like hardly anything we had maybe not even 100 grams of salt in the bottom but it was powdery and that we realised is the technique to making those salt flakes. You can't just boil it straight down. Mm. So that was our first lesson in salt making. And then it was just about trying to work out how we could do that on a bigger scale to make it into a commercial enterprise, I suppose.
1: So then you came back to Tasmania and, and started looking for a place to make salt. Is that is that right? Yeah. What, what were you looking for and how did you go about it?
2: Literally, all we wanted was access to the sea. We needed some power. So our system uses a lot of clean energy throughout it, but there's a lot of pumps in there. So we knew we would need electricity. And when we moved over here, we'd spent a bit of time building the business plan back in the UK and thinking about it and being in touch with some engineers. But we moved over here without anywhere to live and nowhere to set up the business. It was really yeah was, very brave I mean, I doing, well I know now I've got three children I would just never do that it just seems crazy to me that we that we did it mm. but yeah and we just went we met a farmer down here on the east coast we knew we wanted to be on the east coast Chris had spent a lot of his summers here and he knew that the water was really clean but we also we did need to be I mean the west coast is amazing but it's just so remote sort of transport is going to be really difficult and we need really dry conditions and that's what makes our salt production method so unique so we've got really dry conditions here on the east coast but we just went and spoke to a farmer and said I don't suppose you've got any land near the water with power and they were like oh no we don't but I'll go and see this guy and we were sent around five or six different people and people were so helpful it was so surprising I'd imagine people might think like gosh what are these crazy ponds?" because at that point my husband had been in the UK for 10 years and so I'm afraid he had a bit of an English accent <laughs> sure. like, what are these ponds doing over here making salt but they were so helpful And eventually we found a wonderful farmer, Bruce Dunbabin, at Mayfield, one of the best spots on the East Coast. And he was like, yeah, sure, I'll just, you know, just." he drew a line on a map and
0: off you go. Oh, wow. Um, That's my dream is to knock on a farmer's door and just say, (laughs) hey, can I have a piece of your land? You have a pretty amazing location there, Alice. Describe it to our listeners
2: must be one of the best spots in the world. We're down on the water on a beautiful, long white sand beach. We look out over the Fresenay Peninsula, so we're on Great Oyster Bay, just pure water right out as far as you can see. We look out towards Moriah Island down to the south, so yeah, it's stunning, just water and beaches and not much else it's really lovely that must be lovely to
0: wake up to and to have that as your office space
2: yeah well exactly i
0: know where we were
2: in london you look out of your window and you're looking out over gray concrete (laughs) and we look out of the office here and straight onto the water there's often dolphins out there we've got two sea eagles that live up in the tree just down the beach
0: god i'm so out of here i'm going to go and buy a place in tasmania maybe i could grow pepper or something and we can live next door to each other and
1: (laughs) Sounds good. Well, what was the first step? You had your little uh, piece of paradise. How did you set up for producing salt?
2: Well, yeah, that, that was the tricky bit. We thought we'd made all the big decisions and done the hard bit moving halfway around the world, but it was pretty tough building the salt works and getting it right. And it's still, we're still doing it. It's a very, very steep learning curve. So our salt production method is totally unique to salt making, and so and we were kind of learning from scratch. We had an engineer who we were working with up in Wynyard and we came up with this very unique evaporation method.
0: It's not in a big pot <laughs> no, on the agar, no. is
2: it's, it? Oh, giant it's pot. a giant pot. It's <laughs> a bit more advanced than that. But I, I mean, I suppose actually it still is evaporation. It's mm. all about evaporation. But it's tricky, you know, back in London in my old life, if something broke down, you call the IT department and they come and sort it out for you. Here, we just had to learn to do everything ourselves. There's nobody who knows the system really better than us or who can help us when things go wrong. It's just a lot, a lot of trial and error. So we're now six, seven years in. We've got a great blueprint now for building up, scaling up, but it has it's taken us this long really to get everything working really well. And there's lots of different parts to it. It was really tricky, but it was amazing. And building something that's totally your own that no one else is doing is fantastic as well.
0: Alice, are you the only salt makers in Tasmania?
2: I think there
0: is another
2: salt maker that might have started up in the last year or two, Mm. just doing quite small scale production. I think we're the only people doing it on a commercial
1: level. Was there a history of salt making in Tasmania?
2: Well, actually, strangely, there was a history of salt making in Tasmania dating back to the 1840s. And we're actually just when we saw that on the map, we're like salt works. That's interesting when we were because we literally were just looking on the East Coast at somewhere where we might live and it turns out there used to be an old sea salt production facility down there back in the 1840s but it only lasted for about five years I think they were using quite innovative technologies for the time as well they were boiling it boiling the seawater on fires but then they were using the heat from the fires to dry as well in rooms above it so it was quite innovative but I think that maybe it's Slightly might have relied on convict labour, and Mm. then when that fell apart, and then I think there was a rather gruesome end to it. The guy who started it up went back to London on a visit, and he just never returned. And I think his wife used to come and meet the boats coming into Hobart from London, and then eventually his body was found cut up into pieces in a carpet bag. So we were initially really excited when we saw (laughs) saltworks in Tasmania. Wow, look, this is you know we're following a tradition, and then we think, oh yeah, we don't. And hope oh, you don't end anyway, up we've lasted. <laughs> in, a,
1: yeah. in a carpet bag.
2: Well, oh dear. exactly. We've lasted more than
0: five years,
1: so we <laughs> hope
2: that we've maybe broken that one.
0: Where was that? Was that near where you are now?
2: Yeah, it's literally just 10 kilometres south of our salt works. And you can still see the ruins of it. It's quite interesting if
0: you go down there. That yeah. is. So, Alice, tell us about how you do actually make salt from salt water. Talk us through the process
2: Yes. Like I said, it's really simple. It's it's all about evaporation. So I suppose making sea salt the way we do, there's three stages of evaporation, different levels of evaporation. So the first one is, is just full evaporation where you take seawater, which is about 3.5% salinity, and we turn it into a super saturated brine, about 25% salinity. And then the next stage is crystallization, where you take that and you evaporate it really gently the next stage is drying where you're just evaporating off the remnants so it's just stages and stages of evaporation but the really tricky thing for us was that first stage where you've got to get a lot of fresh water out of your seawater So on the mainland of Australia, for instance, they just use big open salt flats and the sun does that job over the course of, say, 18 months. But you need to have really reliable weather for that. So you need to know that you're not going to get rain for six to eight months, which we can't do here. So we always knew we were trying to find a production method that would be more similar to the production methods in the UK. And we did try and find out a bit of what they're doing over there. But molden for instance, historically has just taken up the seawater and just boils it down, which obviously uses loads of loads of energy and at really high temperatures and salt is so corrosive. So we really didn't want to go down that route. One of the most important things for us setting up here was just the purity and cleanliness of the water. And that we knew was what was going to make Tasman Sea salt a really outstanding salt, different from any other salt on the market. And so Preserving that was really, really important to us. So we came up with an evaporation method that works at ambient air temperatures and uses naturally occurring evaporations. We literally, we take up the water and we put it through our evaporator, which essentially works by evaporative cooling. It's almost like cooling tower technology. So I don't know if you know how that works. It's, no. <laughs> cooling towers are often used in industrial purposes for cooling liquids down whereas we're using it for the evaporation side of it rather than the cooling but we essentially we just take the seawater up through a pump we put it through our evaporator so there's a sprinkler system in the top that sprays out a mist so we're increasing the surface area that then falls down through channels which again increase the surface area we have a big fan that draws air up over it and that evaporates off the fresh water as it goes and so we've just got fresh water coming out of the top and it just goes round and round continuously and it only really works where we are because it's so incredibly dry we don't have humid conditions the weather comes into the west coast of Tassie and just dumps it all there and then comes across to us really dry and then We amplify that process by adding just a bit of temperature so it cools down and then we warm it up so it can cool down again as it goes through. So in the daytime, we have evacuated tubes, solar. So we take solar hot water and we heat that up as it goes round. And then during the night, we use temperature from the sea to heat that up. And that increases our evaporation rates of three or fourfold. And so we had always imagined that summer would be the best time to evaporate, you know, when it's hot and sunny. But actually, because it's evaporative cooling and we can take temperature from the sea in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night is when we evaporate best because the air temperatures are really low. It gets down to about one, but the sea has maintained its temperature of about 13 degrees. So we can actually get a lot of heat into our system through the seawater in the middle of winter.
0: It sounds very sustainable as well yeah it
2: is we're the only people doing it like that and probably there's not many places in the world where you can do it like that you need these really really dry conditions that we have here and so then we just take that supersaturated brine and this is when we learn how to make salt flakes we put it into crystallization pans and you evaporate really gently and it's so super saturated that a small amount of evaporation forces salt crystals to form on the surface and so the quicker you do that the smaller the flakes and the slower the bigger the flakes and so we played around a lot with that just to get the exact right flakes and we spoke to a lot of chefs about the kind of size of flakes and the texture of flakes until we came up with our product but yeah like I said a lot of trial and error and then we just dry them and package them and off they go to market.
0: So Alice when you talk about the size of flakes what does it do for the taste the size of the the salt flake?
2: So the size of the flakes directly probably actually don't have an impact on the taste. What it has more of an impact on is the way you can cook with them and the flavour they impart to your food. So We'd imagine that large, crunchy flakes might be better. They look more like those big crystals that you tend to associate with salt flakes. But actually, they're quite difficult. If they're too hard and crunchy, they're quite difficult to cook with. And you can't get that nice dispersion of flavor around your cooking. And you can't crumble them between your fingers. So that was the feedback we had from a lot of chefs when we were first doing our trial and error there. So we've got our flakes are quite soft, crumbly flakes, so really easy to use. And that's what sea salt is all about for me. It's, I have a salt pig next to the cooker and you just get your hands in and it's touchy-feely salt. It's mm. really cooked salt, I suppose. You know you know exactly how much you're using. You can distribute it carefully and evenly rather than through a grinder when you don't really know what's coming out at the end.
0: So are there different yeah. size flakes for different uses in cooking? Yeah, there
2: would be. And I think that there is definitely something great about those big Pyramid style flakes because they look quite good for presentation. I suppose if you've got a chocolate or something where you really want people to be able to see the salt flakes, they're quite useful. And we do sometimes keep some of the big flakes that are formed if we want to use them for presentation ourselves. But ours is it's all round cooking salt. We want Tasman Sea Salt to be salt that everyone can use. It's an accessible cooking salt. I know we're incredibly lucky, but we use it to season our water for boiling pasta and our vegetables and it just makes such a massive difference to the taste so that's what we're aiming for really good all-round cooking salt for foodies
1: let's talk more about taste you set out to use the environment and the beautiful pristine waters of Tasmania to make this product you hope would make a really beautiful local salt Mm. What results do you get and how does your salt compare to other salts other places in the world in terms of taste?
2: We've both been so overwhelmed by the results of our salt. I think the water here is just so incredibly pure. And like I said, until we started doing it, we didn't really know the finer details of the production. But what we quickly found was that the water here is so clean and pure that we didn't have to do any of the cleaning or rinsing or any of those bits that a lot of other salt producers that we'd spoken to elsewhere in the world have to do at the end of the production process. And our salt just comes out as bright white, pure white salt. I remember speaking to a French chef and he couldn't believe that we didn't bleach it or clean it because they're so used to Camargue salt that's that slightly grey colour and couldn't Mm, believe that it's a totally natural salt, salt. So we've just been incredibly lucky. And the fact that all we do is evaporate off fresh water All the trace minerals and nutrients from the sea stay in the salt and it just gives it this incredible depth of flavour. It tastes like the ocean. And I remember when we first set up, we had a couple of people just email us like, wow, I found your salt. Thank you so much. It just reminds me of swimming in the East Coast as a child. And it does have this wonderful, pure, clean taste of the ocean, it's not got that stringent. So, I don't know if you've ever tried table salt, sacks of salt, mm. mined salt, which is just mined and then stripped of everything and cleaned. And it's, you know, it's very, very inexpensive. And mm. so, I suppose I can see why, you know, maybe it has its place, but it doesn't taste of anything except for that chemically sodium chloride taste, whereas ours is just pure, clean taste of the ocean, really. And that's just down to the purity of the water here, the natural resource we've got. It's a very clean production process, very clean water, pure provenance, really. We're lucky. We've managed to find a way of really just letting that sing rather than doing too much to it.
0: Okay. I may have changed my farming dreams from uh, (laughs) growing grapes for wine to salt making, I think. (laughs) I like I like the sound of it. It's just it sounds so pure and natural. Mm. Yeah. Well there
2: are also a lot of grape vineyards around here which makes our life very pleasurable too.
1: (laughs) Yes. go I want your life out of balance, (laughs) Natasha. (laughs) I'm just trying to put this in a time frame. When did you say have your first batches of marketable salt how how long have you been operating
2: we moved over here in October 2013 we had our first batch of salt by July 2014 Mm. and just uh, yeah it took it (laughs) took a long time to get that batch of salt and to Mm. package that batch of salt but yeah so we've been we've been going since then and we've grown we've designed the salt works in a way that we could grow it in a modular way that we could try and grow it organically. I mean, it was quite a big investment at the beginning, but hopefully we've got a bit of a blueprint for scaling up now.
1: And how much
2: are you making each year? So at the moment, we can produce about 600 kilos of salt a week with our current system and we do that we sell natural sea salt flakes and so we also have a range of salt mixes and flavoured salts we wanted to keep it really uniquely Tasmanian we feel that's what's so, so special about our products so we make a mix with the Tasmanian pepper berry which I don't know if you know about. It's a a delicious, spicy, peppery, it's got a deep purple colour. It looks really, really beautiful, sprinkled on things. Mm. We do a wakami seaweed mix, so that's two products straight from the sea, unrefined, and that is a real hit of the ocean, really, really delicious. The wakami seaweed is sourced from the waters down around Bruni Island. And our latest salt is a smoked salt, so we do an eight-hour cold smoke over Tasmanian oak and a little bit of blackwood and it's this rich caramelized salt with almost sweet overtones it's really really delicious it goes well with dairy butter and cheese and eggs and things
0: yeah Oh, I know I say shit. this uh, when we yes. talk to every single food person. <laughs> I know what you're going to say. Yeah, <laughs> but, and I can't believe that talking about salt is making me hungry. Yes, it so
1: hungry. <laughs> I just yeah.
0: And I'm just thinking about the fact that one of the boxes of sea salt I have in my cupboard at the moment is actually and smoked sea salt. So uh-huh. I'm going to actually replace that mm. Quick Smart with some Tasmanian smoke sea salt because it sounds amazing
1: yeah
2: yeah it is well obviously I'm going to say this but I
0: definitely <laughs> think the Tasman sea salt smoked
2: is better than the Maldon uh, of, course. Um, <laughs> of course
1: yeah you talked about consulting with chefs before about the size of the flakes what do they say about the flavor and also about how they're using it
2: All the chefs that we have worked with have been so unbelievably supportive of our products. It's amazing. I suppose a lot of the the chefs we consulted with initially were Tasmanians. And Tasmanians are hugely supportive of Tasmanian businesses. But everyone was really impressed with the quality of the product. And it's all down to Tasmania and Tasmania's natural resource. So most of the chefs in Tasmania, most of the restaurants use Tasman Sea Salt now. There's not many high-profile restaurants that don't, and they've all been really kind of helpful in building our, our other flavours as well. So the chef at our local restaurant just down here, Piermont, he's been amazing. He only uses our spoke salt and absolutely loves it, and uses all of our trial batches and things. And over at Sapphire, Ian Todd, the chef there, has been really helpful throughout. Well, the whole the whole business, helping us develop the different salt mixes and using all of them, it's been wonderful.
0: So what's next for Tasman Sea Salt? What are your plans?
2: Well, yeah, I don't know, it's quite, it's hopefully an exciting time coming up. I've spent the last six months developing a bit of a seven year strategy, so As a result of COVID, we lost a lot of our food services sales, which made up about sort of 35, 40% of our sales. Mm -hmm. So we've had to really move towards our retail lines and just rethink what our goals are. And it's actually a great process. I've really enjoyed doing it, you know, thinking about the future and how we can build the business. So we use a lot of clean energy throughout the evaporation part of our process. And we're now looking, we've been working with an energy consultant to work out how we can really increase the energy efficiency of the other areas. So we're looking at using recycled heat from a heat pump and things like that to just really even further bring down our um, energy consumption. So that's kind of, that's our next Steps for hopefully the next year or so and we're just working on a, another couple of salt mixes that we've got in the pipeline
0: that we're quite excited about so better not mention those in case malden is listening and steals, steals yeah, your yeah, ideas from exactly. you
2: yeah maybe we're the we're the
0: big boys now and yeah, they'll be copying <laughs> us not the other way around <laughs> well you've certainly come a long way from the day that you boiled up your huge pan of salt water on your grandmother's aga yeah
2: it does well it feels like a long time ago but also no time ago at all it's really flown by but yeah no we're really pleased with the product we've got I suppose in the business we've built up so that's great and now we've moved into the mainland market and a lot of great chefs over in the mainland using our products and really loving them which is fantastic to see so I just really hope all the restaurants sort of you know we make it through this current crisis and everyone can get back to business at some point
1: soon
0: Mm, things are tough and i've heard that things are particularly tough in tasmania so it's good to hear a good news story
1: and our food loving listeners they can get their hands on your products can't they i looked on your website this morning and saw that i have four places like right around me four little shops that all stock your salt
2: Yeah, we are kind of available all over Australia. We've got a stockist store locator on our website, so you can check there. Yeah, we're in a lot of the IGAs and providors and gourmet shops. It's been great. And as I said, we've lost a lot of food services, but retail's gone really, really well. And I think people are really loving being able to use the salt that's made close to home and possibly... Maybe people are using a bit less Molden or Himalayan or things that's had to travel further as a result of COVID and people looking closer to home products. So I suppose that's great for Australian
0: products it's interesting isn't it that we're so concerned with food miles but i don't think about where my salt comes from Mm. so i will be more conscious of that from now on because that is a lot of food miles isn't it to come Mm -hmm. from mold and it is a bit ludicrous that it's coming from there when we have our own incredibly beautiful pure sea to get Mm. a supply from right
1: near us yeah Well, thanks so much for talking with us, Alice. It's been really, really fascinating. And it's so great that you've created a local industry that Tasmania hadn't seen, well, since the 1800s. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm going to go home and put my other
0: salts in the bin now, I think. (laughs) Oh, no. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was
1: great to chat. Thank you. I certainly won't think of salt in the same way ever again. (laughs) And thank you to our listeners. That's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, please do share it with anyone you think might be interested. Until next time, bon voyage and bon appétit. You've
0: been listening to Extra Virgin, a podcast for the Epicurious. You can get more great food and travel inspiration, including stories, recipes, reviews and more at our website, extravirginfoodandtravel.com.
1: You can also follow Extra Virgin Food and Travel on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook or email us at extra extravirginfoodandtravel at gmail.com. And if you like what we do, you can support us by buying us a virtual coffee at our website.
0: If you haven't already, go to Apple, Spotify or Google Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, to download and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please give us a like.